0: Welcome to a special edition of UGA Sports Live. We uh, have Jim Donnan and Coach, one of your special friends from your ESPN days, joins us once again. We're glad to have Reese and particularly with
1: the uh, game day coming here, Reese. Uh, just unbelievable that uh, you know big game and what went into the process of choosing this game when you had your alma mater playing Ole Miss. I mean, I, I'm sure that you. Uh, not going to do anything but what's best for the company, and certainly we're glad you're bringing it down here. Jim,
2: I really think it came down to the simple fact that we could take the show and lead it right into the game, and there's some, there's some real value to that. I think it creates a lot of energy around the show. We can do uh, something similar, but I think it'll be far more intense this week. When we did last week at Soldier Field, we did first two hours plus outside at a good venue. And then we took the rest of the show inside during warmups and that was cool. And it was fun, but I think doing that in Athens for an SEC game uh, that has some pretty high stakes is going to feel a little bit different than a neutral site. uh, Notre Dame, Wisconsin game. There's certainly some energy around that game, but this is going to be different. So I think that was, this is a really, really compelling game. Arkansas is one of the really good stories of the first month of the season. It's an opportunity to see exactly where they are. Georgia looks like a juggernaut. Our game, we can take game day right into it. So I think that that was what carried the day and gave it a little bit of an edge over Alabama and Ole Miss, which certainly has some compelling storylines
1: in its own right. Yeah, that's true. And one thing you can tell all your people up there Kirby has been uh, lighting into all our fans about being ready to go at 12 o'clock. So if you go in the stadium, that last 45 minutes, you're going to have a lot of fans in there jerk, you know, uh, getting behind you too. So he said, Hey, we got, we want them to support game day. We want to do all that, but Hey, let's be ready when that kickoff comes. And I know that you uh, had a chance to see our team when you did game day down there uh, at Charlotte. Uh, what's your overview at this point? Uh, then and now of how we look
2: it's the best defense in the country Uh, their defensive line is probably the best and with the unfortunate injury to uh, brisee at clemson i would say there's probably not much doubt about that now um clemson even prior to brian's unfortunate injury i wouldn't say the clemson's d line was better it was perhaps george's equal if if that so you got, I think you have got the best line in the country. You've got exceptional linebackers. Uh, the the when you get to full strength with uh, Tyke Smith at safety, I think the secondary is going to be elite and probably already has been playing at an elite level. Offense has come along, and you know I think this is a team that can win the national championship. It's um, the advantage that I see with Georgia against Alabama at the moment is playmakers on the defensive front. Um, I don't know if you agree with this or not, and you would know better than I. Alabama's got a lot of really good players on the defensive front, but Georgia has difference makers. And um, so I think that gives them a little bit of an edge, uh, you know, if you were stacking them up in terms of national championship. In terms of this game this week, I think it gives them a really good opportunity to uh, to stop Arkansas's running game. have to see how healthy K.J. Jefferson is. But I just find it hard to believe that – anyone's really going to put up a whole lot of points against Georgia this year. And therefore um, the offense has a little bit, a little bit more room for error.
0: Reese, I want to put my producer hat on a second, just trying to understand campus a little bit and what Saturday is going to be like. If I'm a producer, I I love having the stadium as a backdrop open-ended off of the bridge for the headgear, but I understand how that limits any kind of crowd around it during it. So do you have any details of what Saturday is going to look like in terms of location on campus?
2: I'm not exactly sure. I'm under the impression and I hope I don't say anything wrong here, but I think that there are some logistical concerns as it pertains to trucks and different, things of that nature with doing the bridge so i don't think it's going to be there the first part of the show as i understand it the first couple of hours will be at myers quad and then we will and it's going to be a little bit of a haul as you guys know but we'll then take the show um, into the concourse area of the, the concourse area set they said we would be able to drive up walk you know 30 40 feet and be on the second set so from a producer's standpoint And, you know, I work closely with our producer, Jim Gallero, and and Drew Gallagher, who's our coordinating producer, we'll have to find something you don't want to be in any just like long form, you know, tape necessarily. But there we will have to create some bridge time in order to let us get from set A to set B. So, you know, that'll be it'll it'll give it'll give the proper backdrop we will be able to get a, a great access to to things leading up to the game we're hoping to be able to take some of the some of the game camera shots to show some stuff you know in the tunnel and backstage and all the things that build the anticipation the excitement and hopefully give fans just a little glimpse of something they might not ordinarily see if they were just at home watching on television or even if they're you know in the stadium uh, watching um you know watching the game something they wouldn't see even if they were on site.
1: Well, one thing that uh, we see all the Emmy Award performances by you guys and game day keeps winning, but just for our fans, uh, approximately how many people actually go into putting this show on? I mean, counting the people, every, everybody, and what's the total there?
2: When, when you count everybody, Coach, and we do, because it's sort of – it's really one of the more uh, – cool things i think i've experienced in my 30 plus years in television is that everybody feels a part of the show from the people uh who drive the trucks to the guys who put the set together to the technicians to the production assistants who stay back in bristol and and put the show together i would say we're right in the neighborhood of 100 people uh, somewhere in that vein probably 60 to 70 travel i think i have those numbers right And, uh, you know, they're all vitally important. And we all, uh, you know, that's cliched. People like to say that a lot. But I think that um, in this particular case with this show, that there is great pride and professionalism that that all of the guys and and women that are part of the show, that they take in making sure that their job is well done and prepared for what's always a challenging environment. I mean, the audio guys have a – herculean task every week to make sure not only that we can be heard but that um that the mix is right for the people at home and i know sometimes i get complaints about this Just a little public service announcement sometimes they, the crowd noise is so loud we can't hear you guys that's a cable system problem or a settings problem on your television i promise you that because i did the same thing and you have to look into that either through your cable box satellite provider or on your television set there, that's the end of your public service announcement. But we've got a lot of people that do it. One of the things and that I've done since I started doing the show seven years ago, we have a truck driver who's been with the show for years and years named Tommy Marshall. Tommy's driven for everybody in the world, rock bands, you name it. He's, he's a great guy. And I don't go on the set on Saturday mornings until I meet Tommy at the bottom of the steps before I go on the stage and we do this handshake thing. It's not like a fancy handshake. It's just a customary handshake. But we stand there, we square all square shoulders, we shake hands, and then I walk up uh, to the set and do the show. It's like a it's like a superstition for me.
1: Hey, that's a good way to get it going. Uh, talking a little bit more about uh, football here now that we've done got the show all set up. Uh, yeah, i bored you to tears, Coach. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> our fans want to hear that. That's that's part of the the. Dane likes the it because he's a TV nerd like yeah. me. That's prologue, man. That's what we need. You know (laughs) me; I like to talk some ball. So, yes, sir, me too. I like calling you all the time. Everybody knows about the SEC right now, but the the pretenders around the country looks like Oregon to me is is definitely a team that might be one. I don't know if there's anybody else that's even close because Penn State's got to prove their medal, you know, in their league, and and Ohio State, Michigan. so what's your take on Oregon at this point? I know I you, think, you know Mario Cristobal well through his association with Alabama and everything. So tell our fans about that.
2: I think that Oregon is, is really good. Uh, I think that I have them ranked number three uh, behind Alabama and Georgia. I think they're deserving of that. Um, their, their lack of really wiping people out bothers me a little. Not going to lie about that. Now, they've had injuries uh Kayvon Thibodeau is the singular most destructive force in college football but he hasn't been healthy and so I think that's part of it their quarterback uh Anthony Brown played at Boston College he got over 5,000 yards in his career you know he, he scored a bunch of touchdowns throwing in running at BC he's an experienced guy um he's solid I don't know that he's necessarily an elite difference maker although he played very well at Ohio State so the, I worry about the letdown with them, about the losing the game they shouldn't. That, and they also have some road tests. They have to go to UCLA, who I think is a, a good team also. So I worry about a letdown with them. But the good news for Oregon, Jim, is I think that they've actually put themselves in position so that they can – I. I think they're in really good shape. They're certainly one in good shape against a one loss big 10 champion. If it comes to that, they might even, you know, be in good shape against an undefeated one, you know, depending on who it is. Um, you know, if it were to come down to those two, I certainly ahead of, I think whoever the ACC champ would be perhaps even with a stumble. So, you know, they're still in pretty good shape. I don't think they're in a situation they, it would serve them well to win all of their games as it would anyone that's stating the obvious, but I don't think that they're eliminated if they stumble that said the inexplicable head scratching, how do they lose that game? Kind of, uh, kind of worries me a little bit about them. Other than that, I think they're really good and they're very, very talented.
1: Certainly that's uh, about the way I feel it too, because you know, they got the monkey off their back with that big win over Ohio state. But I, I think, psychologically they felt like, you know, we got to do it. But once they got on the field with them, it's pretty obvious. They were the best team that day. Yeah, no uh, doubt. I agree. That really, they really look. So, talking about the SEC a little bit, uh, how do you feel about a two-team SEC grouping getting in, it's, particularly if, if uh, Georgia and Alabama completely dominate the league? Like, you know, it could happen. Now, I worry about Florida. I, I, I certainly worry about what's going to happen with Ole Miss on Saturday, but I think Nick's had a year to work on them, so hopefully they can do better. But can you see two teams from our league getting in?
2: Yes, easily. Uh, they've really controlled most of the non-conference play. They've looked the part. I don't think, in, in fact, I won't even say I don't think, I'm quite certain that Alabama is not uh, nearly as good as it was last year. They're not, they're not even as good as they were in, in 18 and 19, uh, in my judgment. They've got really good players, but they're not as experienced, and they have you know a lot of different parts. So I'm not sure that the gap is there between Alabama, Georgia, and the rest. It, it, there is a gap; it's not as big. I think maybe is a better way to put it. So, so I, I think there's a real. I, I think it's a real possibility that even even if one of those teams have one loss. Nobody's getting in, I don't think, with two losses. But, you know, if one were undefeated, the other had one loss and the undefeated team fell to that, I think there would be no doubt they would both get in, uh, or little doubt, I should say. And if you have two undefeated teams get there, whether that's, you know, Georgia and Alabama most likely, or if it, you know, were to be, you know, Georgia and Ole Miss. I don't, Georgia doesn't play Ole Miss, I don't think, do they? It wouldn't no, until the championship no. game. So, if, you know, if you know, you know, Arkansas would take care of, we'll take care of it Saturday, so it wouldn't be them. But, you know, if it were even Georgia and Ole Miss, I think you'd probably wind up in a similar situation. If you have that showdown between two undefeated teams um, in Atlanta for the SEC championship, I think they're both getting in. Reese,
0: just I was getting nervous for college football as a whole with the predictability of four or five teams really having a shot to get in that, that final four. And it was just the same programs every year. A month into the season, we've seen Clemson falter. Oklahoma looks like it's on you know, some, some fragile ground. Is that exciting for you all to see that this may be one of those years? I'm not saying 07, but just one of those years where there's more parity, at least so far.
2: Everybody says they've been hungry for it. I'll be interested to see if they really are, because I think that there's some real value to slaying the giant. Now it'll be fun when it happens, you know, because you can, you know, you look at Alabama and really, I would even say this probably applies to Clemson Alabama since 08 and Clemson probably since 15, you can recite chapter and verse of every loss Ohio state's almost in that category. Every game they've lost over that period of time, whether you're a fan of that team or not, oh, I remember that. Well, that was a big one. What a game that was. What a performance by Rondell Moore to beat Ohio State. Oh, you see what Iowa did? Iowa came out there and threw it all over Ohio State. Oh, Chad Kelly bounced the ball off of Tuba and beat Alabama. You know, everybody remembers those games. I mean, Clemson, oh, went up to Syracuse, couldn't beat them. Clemson Syracuse running up and down the carrier dome. Everybody remembers them because it's slaying the giant. There's value in that. So I do understand the, the desire for new teams. In so it doesn't seem like it's a foregone conclusion. And I think you're starting to get the feel of that. I was never as up in arms about it as some people were because I'm old. I mean, I – these things happen people people said in the early 2000s oh usc will never lose again southern california and the sunshine and all the great players now they can't find a coach you know so it's these things i don't want to say cyclical because alabama's sort of (laughs) redefined what a cycle is and clemson despite its troubles this year sort of on its way to doing that and they're real close if they haven't already but you know, these things change. Circumstances change. Uh, A breakthrough player comes along. uh, uh, A program gets aligned with the, you know, as Kirk was talking about with Miami the other day with the president and the athletic director and the head coach and things start uh, falling into place and they start winning, they gain momentum. And then they, and they become the giant. And, you know, I've been of the opinion and, you know, and Alabama and Georgia both have huge games this week. Um, But, they're always sort of compared to each other because they've been on this parallel track with the exception of Georgia finishing the deal. I I don't know when Georgia will beat Alabama. Who knows if they'll even play this year. But I have this weird feeling that like someday when they do, it's not going to be on a two-a-like play or it's not going to be on a field goal. Thing. They're going to beat them like 92 to six. Like, they're, you know, they're just going to take out all of the frustrations in one fell swoop and things change, you know. So I I do think that there are signs that things are changing this year. You know, some big change. Oregon was in the first playoff, by the way, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, if you have uh, Arkansas or Ole Miss breakthrough or, you know, if uh, – whoever else it might be, if you have a big 12 team, you know, sneak in there that hasn't been to it yet. Or, um, you know, if even UCLA, you know, comes back and runs the rest of the way and beats Oregon wins the PAC 12 looks really good. If Michigan, you know, uh, dominates the big 10 and gets in certainly that all those things would, would be good and, and interesting and exciting, but I haven't been as up in arms over uh, over the three dynasties at really four, if you want to count Oklahoma too, the four programs, that have dominated the playoff, it'll change. You know, before Stoops, you know, Oklahoma was a mess too, you know, so everybody's had their periods of, of being, uh, being messed up.
1: Yeah, I mean, you did a good job of chronicling the last 15 years. You got it down, man. So uh,
2: I know. I, Kirk never lets me talk, so I talk too much when I come on uh, shows I, with you.
1: I like you to talk. I like <laughs> you. They get tired of hearing us, but I, I was just going to ask you what you think at this point about the transfer portal and its effect. I mean, it's obvious it's, it's been very effective for a lot of teams, but uh, as an old coach, I worry about too many of these kids leaving too quickly. You know, I think it's too easy to quit, but you see the dynamic difference, you know, like that running back for UCLA or that quarterback for Western Kentucky. I mean, that kid's on fire. I mean, you just get a good player in there, and it makes a lot of difference. But uh, how do you think the effect is going to be not only for football but basketball moving forward?
2: Well, it's, it's certainly a challenge for both. And I understand, you know, coaches uh, being frustrated by it, especially if they've developed a player and put time in recruiting him and they lose him. But, you know, I, I'm in favor of it because an, an athlete's career in college is really short. And even though I know they have the name, image, likeness opportunities now, if we're not calling them professionals and they're not uh, employees, which we, you know, I don't think the schools are suited to make them employees, then I think that we ought to allow them to choose where they want to go, go to school, and where they want to play. But your point is also true. When I say that people say, oh, you're saying they can quit. No, I'm saying they're adults and they can be allowed to make mistakes. And many times, not all the time, sometimes a guy should leave. It's not a good fit. Uh, you know, things haven't gone right. There have been, you know, w- wires crossed, trust, you know, trust's broken, and they should leave. But there are also times when they ought to stick it out. But I have a hard time legislating that they aren't allowed to make a mistake. You know, that I, this is sort of my philosophy in life. You need to make informed decisions and you need to own them. And guys are going to make mistakes leaving too quickly. There's no question about that. We've seen it. It's happened. Uh, Guys have messed up their careers leaving too early. But I think they should have the right to do it. I mean, I think that's probably the best way. And you do your dead level best as everybody in the original institution to try to not force them, but convince them why it's better for them to stay where they are. We do too much in society of trying to make people do stuff when we would be better off trying to convince them why it's good to do stuff. And I think, I think that's something that gets undersold sometimes. Hey, these kids today, they just leave. Convince them why they should stay. You know, if they come in and they're 18 and they're homesick and they're not playing and, you know, they're not doing the right thing and they're skeptical. The convince them, do these things. You will play because you will improve and you will earn it. And, you know, it's like my like guy that was at a, the Georgia, I'm sure that you know that I love quoting every now and then because he had some of the great uh, great lines of all time. Uh, I don't think this is totally true, by the way, but I do understand the sentiment. Jim Herrick used to say, I don't decide who plays, you decide by how well you play, you know? And, uh, you know, there, I, I'm sure there are a lot of players who could point to things that maybe where that's not entirely accurate, but there is – a huge huge piece of truth in that and convincing guys why they should stay is it's hard because there are a lot of people pulling them in a lot of different directions in many cases but that's the answer convince them why they chose georgia they chose tennessee wherever it is tell them why they should stay and convince them, and show them, and invest in them, develop those relationships, and you'll be less likely to lose, guys. But it is but it is an opportunity for young people to make mistakes. There's no question about that, but there are also
1: uh, instances
2: where it's opportunities for young people to grasp opportunities and do better.
1: Hey, that was a good analysis of it. I'm, I'm all for it a little bit later after they stuck it out, and then, you know, uh, tried everything, but then, hey, give them a chance somewhere else. But uh, we're going to finish it up here, but I, I've got a couple more things. But before I forget it, I'd like we just give our fans, which we used to hang up there, just a little bit of Larry Munson for me. Give me just a little <laughs> Larry Munson. I, I can't believe you're going to
2: ask me to do this, but because there are so we many Georgia, we
1: no. Georgia people want you, we, we just had that thing on Sunday night about him and Hey, go ahead and do it for us. I,
2: I will. i just, I feel badly because I know there's so many real died in the wool Georgia fans that do it so much better than I, but I loved Larry Munson loved listening to Larry Munson and maybe, uh, Maybe he would say something like this on Saturday. And now we're gonna get after that
1: big razorback quarterback, and we can't get him down on the ground. And now Jordan Davis is gonna pull him down and it's about oh look, we got the ball, we got the ball. Oh, like, oh my god, we got the ball. How's that? Hey, that's awesome. That's awesome. A hey, way to do it. Uh, our fans love that for sure. I loved
2: Larry, man. Yeah. I tell you, I listened to him do a basketball game one time. They were playing Florida and Dwayne Shintz played for the Gators. And he kept talking about, oh, they're going to throw it into the big giant. We've got no chance to stop the big giant. He just yeah. kept calling the big giant.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, people don't know how much we, how much fun we had behind the scenes up there. I see Mark May's name up there. A lot of good times we had. And yes, sir. I remember when Holtz was on there that time with me and you and, uh, and uh, May Day. And he said the guy had a shoulder operation on his elbow when we both got <laughs> <laughs> uh, that but he could, he could come up with things but you know the last thing I want to ask you I'll let Dane finish up what about uh, just your overview of uh of, of our quarterback JT Daniels and his progress and, and what the future lies with us looking from a standpoint outside the program because you know everybody's got their own feeling about him and everything and he's missing pickings and all that but uh how do you feel about him? I'd like to see him, and I think you're
2: starting to see a little bit of this. But I'd like to see him be a little more aggressive. But I do think it's smart. He takes care of the ball. He plays complementary football. You don't want to give the other side, you know, good field position and easy scores. And you've got a defense like you have. But he also has the ability to to be aggressive. Correct. And I'd like to see him continue to do that. And I think he will. Um, you know, I know it's different level of competition, but maybe old Stetson coming in there and uh, putting up Madden and NCAA 14 numbers might uh, inspire you to, you know, to look for the big shot a little bit more, but um, you know, I think JT's a really good quarterback. I think he's, uh, I think he's certainly uh, developed a, a good chemistry with the young tight ends. So I think that they, uh, I think they're a good thing. I think Georgia's offense is going to continue to grow. Hey, one of the things that happens coach and, and you can speak to this better than I, when you've had as much success as Georgia has had and you're as good and the expectations are so high and the recruiting has been so good that there's this feeling that they have to be a finished product the second they step out on
1: the field. Yeah. Well, well, develop, right. Yeah, him... yeah.
2: there is no there is no rule that says Wake Forest is allowed to improve over the course of the season, but Georgia can't because they all have five stars. They can't improve. So, you know, I think that you're going to see Georgia's offense continue to grow, become more explosive, even more efficient. And when you pair it with that defense – Uh, this could be the year that the Georgia wins a national championship. There's no question about that.
0: Reese with uh, you guys coming to Athens and uh, David Pollock not having to travel. You all should make him cook for you on Friday night. So that's one thing. My final question. I wouldn't is... eat that. Thank you, though. <laughs> <laughs> the show may not go off if that's the case, is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, final thing is one of the joys of my young professional career has been becoming really family friends with, with Coach Don, and and I see the connection he has with, with so many people around the sport, you included. So how did your Friendship with coach Don and develop and what is it that still keeps it uh so strong today
2: well I think we got to know each other when he was working at ESPN and we spent a lot of time uh talking when we would do those midweek uh midweek studio shows and stuff like that and he's always been really uh kind and supportive and he's always there to answer my questions and we'll you know we'll text back and forth on a on a pretty regular basis about a, a bunch of different things and he just he loves football He's always, uh, you know, he's a great family man. As you know, he loves his children and grandchildren, which is the real mark of character for any person, I think. And he's interested in others. And, you know, he never fails. As, as you heard when we started, he you know, asking about my kids and how things are going. And, you know, he's, he, but it's not a perfunctory thing where he's just doing it to be polite. He cares and you can't fake that. And I think it's what made him, a great coach. It's what made him a great recruiter, the ability to connect to people. Now we know, and uh, we know he can dial up ball plays. I mean, he can, he can draw up at, he can draw up the O's to beat your X's with the best of them. We all know that, but what sets somebody apart is the way they handle people. And Jim has been a great friend and there are a few people I've met in my career who, you know, who have, connected with people better than he does so i'm i'm honored to call him a friend and I'm, I'm pleased that he that he puts up with me when i come on the shows with him and even when i when i call him to ask him questions that uh, uh he might think are stupid sometimes but i'm glad he he takes time to answer them.
1: hey well we're look i appreciate that nice uh compliment those compliments. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to having you here hopefully we can get together uh we'll set that up later but all right uh, it's just a real thrill for our fans. I don't think anybody has any clue up there. Sometimes this kind of schedule you have, but to give us this 25, 30 minutes, it means so much to me personally, but also our fans to give us a little insight into what goes on with game day, what goes on with uh, your thoughts around the country, because, you know, we're pretty much geared in the way we look at things, but a uh, tremendous perspective by you today. And, uh, look forward to seeing you on friday or saturday okay it sounds
2: it sounds good i'll give you a call we'll uh, we'll get together when i get to Athens